In this episode, I'm excited to share my conversation that I had with the author of the book, Why Will No One Play With Me, Caroline McGuire. Caroline's unique way of drawing out the best in her clients has been recognized internationally as she is invited to speak at conferences and schools around the world on topics related to coaching children and young adults with autism, ADHD, executive function, or social skills deficit. Her dedication, passion, and efforts are a direct result of her own struggles to fit in as a child with ADHD and dyslexia. Caroline has been a resource for many journalists as well as leading ADHD organizations and can be seen in publications such as US News, World Report, Huffington Post, Attitude Magazine, Attention Magazine, and WebMD. So I am delighted to be sharing this conversation with you around the topic of social skills, um, how to read a room. In this case, we're going to talk about adults and social skills in professional settings, in business settings, and what does it mean to have an ADHD brain and the impact of that uh, neurodiverse brain as it shows up in social uh, conversations and settings. So it's a really juicy episode and I encourage you to listen to the entire um, episode. She brings a whole bunch of knowledge and strategies on how to blend in and become your own social spy in reading a room. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Today I'm excited to talk with Caroline. She is going to talk to us about how to read the room, how to really understand what's going on when we're walking into that business meeting or that boardroom and everybody's sitting around and having those small talk and you know, do you come in and, and do you interrupt that small talk or do you do you sit back and observe? And how do you read facial expressions too as people are listening to you and rolling their eyes and not rolling their eyes? Are they even listening to you? So anyways, this whole thing about uh, social IQ, if you will, and really understanding what's going on as adults when we walk into a room and how to really try to blend in and understand. A lot of times we get caught up in interrupting, giving too much information as I'm doing right now, and, and so on. So with that, Caroline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite topics. And I was telling you before we started, I have had all these incidents the past weekend where I was just realizing, you know, as a society too, I feel like we're not really reading the room right now. Yes. And especially with the mask, all you're seeing are just eyeballs moving around. There's no more smiles. And I miss seeing those smiles and really understanding, is that person happy or are they just staring at me? Yeah. And, and, you know, people, clients of mine have commented and other friends of mine have commented that, you know, some of the things we did pre-mask, they're not doing. For instance, just, you know, walking through town and saying hello to people as you go because we're uncomfortable and we're uncomfortable how we are and we can't read facial expressions as easily. Um, But I have been doing some investigation on what we can do as an alternative. So I can talk about that because I think there are some things we can do in terms of figuring out what people are feeling, even if they're in a mask and all we have are their eyes and their body. 
Cool. Okay, we'll get into that. So before we get into that, there's a chapter in your book where you talk about what is reading the room. Give us a little bit of a context around that. that Sure. So Why Will No One Play With Me was written for um, parents to teach children how to read the room. But until I come out with an adult book, many, many adults are using this. So I have a lesson track about learning how to do all the steps to learn to read the room. And what I mean by reading the room is being able to understand the social norms, having the awareness of the situation and what it calls for in terms of also the unspoken rules of life, the things that aren't written down anywhere, but they're part of your corporation's culture. They're part of your workplace culture. They are the guiding principles of how people behave, right? So little things. If you go to Starbucks, do you bring back a coffee for a coworker? Would you bring a coffee for a boss? Do people eat lunch at their desk? Do they go somewhere? Do they talk during lunch or do they just sit in front of a screen? You know, how do they enter a conference room? Is being late acceptable or unacceptable, right? And so there's all these little hidden nuanced things that make up any situation. Mm -hmm. And And another part of it is interpreting social cues and body language. So when I say read the room, it can, it's not just a room, it's the situation. It's having the awareness of the situation and what it calls for. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit more around uh, perspective. And I remember one time in an organization I worked, there was a lady that every time in every meeting, when people would be talking and presenting, she always rolled her eyes. And it looked dismissive. And one time I I decided I wanted to ask her. And I said, you know, why do you roll your eyes when people are talking? She goes, oh, I do that? I didn't know I do that. What do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, you really roll your eyes like, oh, God. And, you know, she said, oh, I'm just processing what they're saying. So to me, I thought she was being rude. And I'm sure others thought that. So can you talk about perspective and interpretations, I guess? Yeah, so an old sales trick too is to record yourself, videotape yourself. Zoom is a blessing and a curse, right? We're all on Zoom right now because of COVID. The blessing though is that you do see yourself and you notice yourself more. And so you can actually literally see what you look like while somebody else is speaking. But perspective is super important here because there's a couple factors. One, part of how we learn social skills are models in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so if a person grew up without people who are socially aware and who have good social skills, you might not have learned the boundaries and the social norms that other people have. And so you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn them. And that's, we'll talk about that. We can do that. Two is, um, you know, my perspective is is based partly on my context and how I grew up and who I am and where I am in the world, right? So one of the things we're taught now to be aware of is cultural norms, right? Like what does mm-hmm. somebody do in their culture and that it's not meant to be rude, it's the way they are. Mm-hmm. But I think also beyond that, we all 
have to learn to sort of hold a mirror up to ourselves, not in a hyper self-conscious way, right? A lot of times when I say that, I will get emails and people will say, but I'm already so self-conscious. Here's what I'd say to you. The people who are thinking about their behavior a ton are probably going to be okay because you're literally thinking about what you do and how you interface with the world. It's Mm -hmm. probably, you know, if you're really self-conscious, then we want to work to make you calmer. It's really more about folks who aren't thinking about this stuff and who sort of barge in and who don't consider how they present. The other thing I hear a lot from people with ADHD is, you know, people should accept me as I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's my shtick on this, okay? Yes. No, because that's not how the world works. And here's my latest thing I've been saying to everyone. There are thousands of business books written about your communication style and how you present and how to get ahead in the workplace. So everyone is working on this, right? So it's not just like, oh, I'm picking on you and only, you know, people with ADHD feeling like, oh, why should I work on this? Everyone works on this. Even people with fabulous social skills work to present better and to adapt themselves and and be nuanced right so it's it's really part of life is to work on how you communicate and how you present and there's such huge upside to it mm-hmm. um so i totally want people to accept that core of who we are but in order for people to know me and know the real Caroline, I have to have positive social interactions with them so that they will get to know me. Mm -hmm. That makes a whole lot of sense. And it reminds me of the the book, How to Win Friends and Influence or whatever, however that book How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that book when in the beginning of my corporate days when, when I was reading it. And part of the reason was the whole let's talk about the impulsivity and, and the sense of urgency of, oh, I need to interrupt because if I don't, I'm going to forget. And, and also you talk about it in a different presentation. You talked about stress and how when you bring in so much of your stressful self into a business meeting, that also affects the way you read a room, the way you show up and so forth. Can, yes. can we kind of connect those two together? Talk about that. Yeah, I think stress affects your whole body, right? Mm -hmm. And so it affects how you present to people, the body language you telegraph. If people have a really good social radar, they can pick up on a vibe of something's going on with you, there's stress. It affects your lens, right? How many of us, when someone proposes something, if we're really overwhelmed, All we hear is them piling on and our reaction is is probably too sharp. Our tone isn't great. We're too harsh, right? Because we're feeling embattled. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't validate that you're going to feel stressed sometimes. But I think the thing about about those of us with ADHD is because our self-regulation isn't as great. I've watched people who are super stressed who are neurotypical receive information and respond in a positive manner, even if they were thinking, I'm too stressed, I'm never going to do that project. What we tend to do, and I'm totally guilty of this myself, is 
we feel embattled, we feel overwhelmed, we feel stressed, and we, you know, we become snappy, we become a little too quick, our facial expressions and our body language shows it, our self-regulation, you know, what is self-regulation? It's your levels of activation and arousal in your body and brain going up and up and up until you lose control. And so we have to really learn to self-regulate, learn to manage that impulsivity and learn our triggers. And if stress is one of the things that sends you down a road where you're not as socially appropriate, which it is for many people, then how do you manage that stress? How do you use techniques to, you know, center yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can respond in a way that doesn't feel out of line to the rest of the people in your business meeting? Yeah, makes sense. I remember I was in a, about to go into a meeting and I was fully stressed out and I went into it with all sorts of negativity. And sure enough, 15 minutes into the meeting, I walked out of the meeting, which I've never done that. And it was so embarrassing, <laughs> you know, but it was like, oh, I can't be in this meeting anymore. And, and so, to, so you, don't, you want to avoid getting to that point of extreme reaction. And everybody's right. going, we're all adults here. How come she walked out and we're all sitting here having a conversation about this? So. And I think also people with ADHD are often telling me that they're afraid to say nothing, right? Obviously, if someone speaks to you, you have to respond. But if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling like you're losing self-regulation, if you're feeling like you're not going to respond in the way that you would want to, right? Because then we get that self-regulation hangover where we're like, oh my God, why did I say that? Then read the room, right? Think about what everyone else is doing and maybe hold back, right? Mm -hmm you can always go back to your boss, whoever, and say, look, I didn't want to respond, but I've been thinking about it. And I'm wondering if this is the best use of my time. But Mm -hmm. if you lash out, if you walk out of the meeting, if you pile on to somebody, if your tone is too, you know, sharp, then we end up feeling so badly about ourselves. And we're also not putting forth the best presentation of ourselves. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, uh, so here's the thing about audiences and, and, and understanding who they are and their, their, their agenda, I guess, and, and why they're there. When it comes to that, how do you, how do you try to kind of fit in without losing your true self, you know? but still kind of be part of the group, if you will. What are some of the, the, the recommendations, techniques around that is not losing your authentic self, but still feeling like, oh, I belong here too. Yeah, I have two or three things on that that I'm excited to share. One, in Why Will No One Play With Me, there is a series of lessons called Who Is Your Audience? And I use them with adults too. And part of it is taking an inventory of all the people you know, kind of like a 360, but but really like looking at who the people in your life are, who mm-hmm. are the people in your work bubble, and you know what are their likes, what are their dislikes, what are their pet peeves, how are they going to react to certain things? You know, I had a client who felt that her boss wasn't doing something she agreed with, and she went into his office every hour until at the end of the day, he fired her. 
Oh my God. Right. And part of it was he is a person who says this topic is closed. Now you cannot like that. You can get your resume ready, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is she didn't have a chance to get her resume ready and find another job and have a smooth transition because she just kept going after it right? In that mm -hmm. way that we do sometimes. So mm -hmm. I think knowing your audience, right, is a key element. I would do this. I would recommend this for anyone, yeah. right? Sit down and do an inventory and, you know, look at the who is your audience lessons and say, who is my audience for this? What are their likes and dislikes? What is their background? It's, an, it's, a, it's a skill based on executive function, which is the management system of the brain, where you're taking more of a bird's eye view of things mm -hmm. and you're looking at past experiences, right? Past experiences tell you what people expect and how they're going to react. Mm -hmm. So one of the things about fitting in is take a bird's eye view of that culture, look at the players and the audience, and then look at what are the unspoken expectations and social rules, right? Yeah. And then do you fit with that culture, right? Are you okay with that? And then also what, what do you need to do to fit in? And I think what we, we tend to do is we sort of get annoyed with the people who are going along with that culture and it's very easy mm -hmm. for them mm -hmm. without realizing that everybody is working on this. Everybody yeah. thinks about this. You know, and so fitting in is partly that audience piece. And then the last piece about fitting in is what is it that, you know, you're saying you want to preserve and be yourself? Is yourself at work the same as yourself at home? Hmm. No, right? We all have a workplace self, right? Hmm. And so when we say be ourselves, I think sometimes when people with ADHD look at that, they're thinking that they're going to be the same self at work that they are at home. No, right? So when you see that, I think you have to think about it a little more and understand that it is harder for us. It requires more self-regulation, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. we're not going to share the same things at home that we share at work. We're not going to laugh as loudly. We're not going to be the same because it's your work face, not your home face. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, I like what you're saying. I just want to expand on it in a different way that, again, you don't have to lose who you really are. You can still be your authentic, vulnerable, caring, all of that good stuff self, but, you know, put a little filter on it, if you will. If yeah. you're swearing, you know, like a trucker all day at home and you go to the office, if the office says, yeah, everybody swears, then by all means, but, you know, tone it down. And also, I think there's a certain, people have a threshold, right? Yeah. Especially in business meetings and business settings. I remember there were certain meetings where people always used to start with small talk. It drove me crazy. I'm like, I don't want to be part of this small talk. So I wouldn't have to contribute, but I can be a listener to it. So I could just be at ease with it versus in other conversations, if the small talk didn't exist, you know, then fine. We go to the business and it's focused on that. So being adaptable, but in the back, in the heart of hearts, you're still comfortable with who you are. So you're not really, we're not saying that you should park who you are 
and put on a new persona or mask it, if you will. Right. And I'm not hearing that. I just want to reemphasize, do not mask who you are, but understand from what I'm hearing from Caroline is really amp up your social IQ of what's happening in the room. Yeah. And, and there's another thing that you said that I think is really important here that, you know, we don't love chit chat, many of us, right? I had a real thing about this that I had to overcome. And then a coworker of mine, this was like 20 years ago, said to me, you are so curious, right? Mm -hmm. You are so, such a good talker. Chit chat doesn't have to be boring. It could be that you're really trying to find out and get to know about people. And then I was okay with it, right? I was like, oh, okay, I'm just being curious. But it goes back to this thing we have where we don't want superficiality. We want to rush into more intimate relationships. And a lot of times our sense of levels of intimacy and the fact that mm. there's, there's stuff we share, there's stuff we filter is off, right? And that's actually the talk I'm doing at Chad this year is for adults, it's about levels of intimacy. It's an, it's a lab. So you, people can come and we're going to work on what do you share and what do you filter depending on your level of intimacy and your relationship with someone. And I think one of the things that you brought up that's really important too is people don't want to hear certain things. So yes. I'm going to give an example. I just got a new hairdresser, right? We're finally free in Massachusetts here to get our hair cut. And my old hairdresser was a great hairdresser, but she was like kind of cranky. And she was always telling me about all of the things in her life, like her dad's estate and her sister not participating in this and that. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about it too much. But now that I have this new hairdresser and we're chatting about like Instagram and Pinterest and superficial mm -hmm. stuff, I'm realizing how pleasant it is, right? So part of this is learning to step into someone else's shoes. Part of reading the room and reading people is stepping into their shoes. Did they want to hear about your car payment? Yeah. Right? Do they want to hear about the stopped up drain in your upstairs bathroom? Mm -hmm. Do they mm -hmm. want to hear about like, you know, um, certain other stuff that is either really your stuff, right? Yeah. Or it's um, for the very, very intimate, right? And you get one or two people that you can share anything with in your entire life, Yes. right? So one of the things that I think happens based on, you know, us having ADHD parents and then just the way our brains work is that we overshare and we, we also have to readjust our expectations. And, you know, so one of my tips would be spend a week or two just as you're talking to people, thinking about th them as an audience mm -hmm. and stepping into their shoes and, and thinking not just should I filter this topic or should I share it, but like, why does this person need to know this? Yes. Yeah. What is my purpose? Why am I saying this? And do they care? I mean, I, I'm not saying that to be harsh, but, you know, we often feel bad afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I think, better to work on that piece of should I share this or not and hold back a little more because you can always recalibrate. Mm -hmm. 
But what we're, we tend to do is we share everything, every gripe, every grievance. Well, especially with this brain, you're yeah. scrolling constantly and you're connecting the dots in, your, in yourself as you're speaking. So you feel like you have to, inner voice is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when we talk about reading the room, we're talking about reading people in the room, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And part of reading people is stepping into their shoes. You know, yeah. there's also people who just don't share certain things, right? There's just, there's people who don't have passion around the same stuff you do. You mm -hmm. know, there's people who don't feel the way you do, yeah. you know, and we usually don't convince people to change their mind. So if you think about who is my audience, it really helps because then you're like, okay, what's the situation? Who are they? What do I know about them? And what is my purpose in sharing this level of detail? Yeah, there, there's something about that, that, you know, who are they around you don't have to be best buds with everybody in that office, right? No. There's the grumpy one. There's the disconnected person. There's the one that the jokester, like you don't have to say, I need to be connected deeply with all of the people I work with, right? Right. Uh, I think that's a good filter to have. And also I, I love that about, you know, is this bit of detail, it may be entertaining to you. Is it entertaining them? And, you know, not all the jokes are the same, well, not all jokes, not everybody has the same sense of humor. And ADDers tend to also be funny people. And also sometimes people don't get our humor too at the same time. So it's, again, going back to the understand your audience and read them. I do want to talk about, and this was a question that came in through social media, and it relates to friendship. Mm -hmm. And the... The question is, what about our condition prevents us from forming deep friendships? And I've heard this come up a bit. Either we exhaust our friends. I was just going to say that. Right? We overwhelm them with shitload of information. We are people pleasers. We don't have boundaries, right? So, so there's a whole bunch of there. Which, which one do you want to tackle? Let's talk about exhausting. Mm -hmm. You know, I had someone who I was working with who was an adult and she was saying to me that she doesn't know why she doesn't have real friendships and that her friends will, she'll be friends with someone. I hear this a lot. And then it will peter out. Yes. Right. And here's the thing. Your friend is not your therapist. As a matter of fact, I actually believe that if you struggle with this, it's best to have a therapist in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Your friend is not your ADHD coach, right? They have their own stuff. So one of the, one of the things is not that we can't have deep friendships. We can, but we can't lay so much of a burden on other people that, and then never re reciprocate, right? We can't, we can't lay everything on them and not take back and help them when they're in need. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that's why I say like, have a therapist, have someone else to talk to in your life. And then the other thing is, I know I'll say I'm an intense person, mm -hmm. right? I'm intense, kind of only have one direction, which is forward. And a lot of people 
don't have that level of intensity. Yes. And so if you're always mad or you're always having these emotional reasoning, you know, using the emotional reasoning lens and you're always having these things go on, it exhausts people, right? Mm -hmm. Because part of friendship is supposed to be a little bit light, a little bit enjoyable at times, right? The other thing is, I think we rush in going back to those levels of intimacy. And so someone makes an overture toward us and then we rush in and we don't realize that there's stages of friendship. Yes, friendship talk about is that more. stages, yes. right? Mm -hmm. I have a, a graphic that I use. It's in the book, but I've actually taken it to the next level recently where I, I talk about the stages of friendship and the fact that a friendship is an action oriented mm -hmm. activity. You must put things into it. And I don't just mean dumping your stuff on someone. I mean, remembering their birthday, asking them how they are, hearing from them, listening, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, but there's also stages of friendship. Remember, you get like two best friends in your entire lifetime, people who you can tell anything to. You have a ton of acquaintances. Don't share everything with an acquaintance. They're an acquaintance, right? Yeah. There's a superficiality to that. Yeah. And then there are friends, there are workplace proximity friends, there are buddies, there are people that you're on the journey to becoming friends. But the way we rush in and overwhelm people, that's, I think, what happens. I don't think we're incapable of deep friendships. What I notice is that when we change that approach mm -hmm. and work on our self-regulation, Mm -hmm. and understand that people don't always just want to hear about our stuff. It's a two-way street. Things really change. Oh, I'm pausing on purpose because it was beautiful. Oh, <laughs> that was good. That is, you said so much in there that is so true on so many levels. And there's a point where a person has to kind of step back in, in their life and assess their approach to friendship even mm -hmm. relationships, like intimate relationships, right? And I, the, there's a thing about ADHD and, and how in the beginning when we find somebody that we click with, you know, we're in that rush of like the dopamine kicks in, it just kind of hijacks us, we go so fast, oh my God, I'm gonna see her every day, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that, and we exhaust the person, right? And, and especially with conversations too, we tend to dominate, right? So. Yep. Could we talk about that, about slow the hell down and listen first? Well, you know, one thing I started doing with children, but it works with adults, and mm -hmm. I find it actually even is better with adults, is I do a lot of listening exercises. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk about why will no one play with me is to be a social spy. We're not great observers. Even people who are good with details aren't always great social observers. And noticing and observing is a huge part of social skills. Mm -hmm. It's a huge part of reading people. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I say is pick one thing you're working on, not 8,000 things, because mm -hmm. otherwise you just feel like a failure because you're trying so much. Mm -hmm. Then also spend some time doing more listening than talking and I'm not saying this is easy, right? We could do an entire show on how to do that. Yeah. And um, trying to observe people. 
And again, I'm going to go back to step into their shoes. So I'm going to give a little personal example. Mm -hmm. I have a friend whose husband during COVID, to no fault of his own, has lost his job. And one of the things that she said to me was that most people have not even asked her, how are you doing? How is this for you? Right? Mm. And I think that's part of that friendship is a two-way street piece. And, and part of what makes us end up making statements like, we, I don't have deep friendships, right? So if you dominate the conversation, you never listen, you never ask the person about themselves, you never adapt your style based on what the other person is experiencing and step into their shoes, then you won't have deep friendships, right? So when I'm talking to this woman whose husband has lost his job, we're in terrible uncertainty with COVID, there's a lot going on, and I'm realizing that she's having not a great day. I need to adapt my style, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to share all the great successes I've had today. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell her, you know, my own burdens. I'm going to hear and listen and be there to listen to her talk to me. And so I think that's just an example of like what doesn't happen when we dominate the conversation, right? It's not just that we talk too much and people can't get a word in edgewise. It's that now I am not stepping into their shoes and altering my style. When people are in a conversation and reading people, you adapt who you are and your style based on the body signals they're giving you in social cues. And also, who are they? What are they saying? What's Mm -hmm. going on for them right now? Mm -hmm. If, If their mother passed away three days ago, you have to adapt what you're saying to them. Their cup is full. They don't, they don't need to hear about, you know, like I say, your car payment, but things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the same as we also want to relate to them. So we'll come up with our own stories of, oh yeah. And my father passed away at the same time last year. So, and then we go into our own story. So it's like we were listening and then we want to relate. So we share our own stuff. So one thing I actually learned in coaching through my training was how to listen effectively. I think that was the best thing that has ever happened to me was, was learning, oh, I don't have to share my stuff when somebody else is, you know, sharing their things. Just keep holding the space for them and keep asking questions and get deeper in there. So I, I appreciate that. And I think we should do another episode on listening. I would love to have you back. To just Oh my God, that'd be great. That. Yeah, no, and it's not yeah. that I don't myself struggle with this, right? Oh yeah, we all um, do, yeah. We all do. It is so I, I, you know, I often get emails after a podcast like this where people will either say, I don't think you're really ADHD. <laughs> um, and I'm like, well, I still have medication in my system. So, <laughs> yes, I am. And my husband would tell you, you know, different. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then also, I think it's not that this isn't something we work on and isn't hard, right? But it's that when people ask certain questions, I'm I want to help us reflect on, yes. well, what really is the deeper issue? And when you tell your thing about, you know, oh, well, my father died. Mm-hmm. Now you're making it about you. Yes. Right. And 
you know, if you think about the people who've driven you crazy at moments in your life, it's often that it's about, they make it about them, right? Mm -hmm. I can't just tell my friends that I am having a really hard time and I'm worried about, you know, my boyfriend Mm -hmm. because their reaction is going to be to make it about them. So what do I do? I don't tell them. So what happens to the friendship? It deteriorates. Nice. So we have to remember that part of our job is to listen and is to reflect and hold that bird's eye view. It's really not something we're strong at, but, you know, just working on taking a beat or two Mm -hmm. and looking at a situation as if you were a bird flying overhead and who is there and what are the event required responses, right? What are the people saying and doing? What's the context of the situation? Mm-hmm. Right? I talk about this a lot and I will home play with me. Like context is not something we pick up on easily, but this is a huge piece, right? That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, totally. Okay, so before we wrap it up, because I'm going to lose my audience's attention, as much as juicy this is, this is going to be like, okay, I need another episode. In the beginning of the conversation, you were talking about masks, wearing masks, and picking up cues. So what do you got to say about that? How do we pick the cues when we can't see their entire face and it's just their eyes? Because for me, I frown and I have two lines and it looks like I'm pissed off and I'm not. So Well, and, and that's one thing. We can't become overly paranoid, mm-hmm. right? Because A, like I know I was in Target this weekend and I was just hassled and annoyed and hot and the mask was like not pleasing mm-hmm. me on my face. So I'm sure if you looked at my face, you might have, you could have taken that as about you when really it was about me, right? Yeah. Second thing is, I think we can still look at body language. How are people's shoulders? Are they gesticulating? Are they, you know, seeming to be warm in their tone of voice? Mm -hmm. Are they clipped? Are they looking away? Are they looking at you? You know, are, are they, are you giving them that space? Right? Are you giving them space, six feet of space? Some people, even in mass, still want that six feet yes, of space. Yes, good point. Right? Yeah. Are you mirroring their body language in terms of, you know, they're just trying to jet off and they don't want to talk? Or are they engaged in speaking to you? But maybe you can't read their face, but you can read that they have stayed. And they're continuing the conversation. So it's not ideal. I actually talked to someone at NYU because for my kids who are both ADHD and spectrum, as we enter the fall, I'm like very worried because they they don't read cues anyway. And now mm-hmm. they're in masks. Mm-hmm. But I think for adults and everyone is struggling with this. I also heard a neurotypical say something this weekend I want to share because I think we forget that other people are struggling with this. Of course. This neurotypical man said, I'm having trouble reading you because you're in a mask and I can't see your face. So can you just, are you good with what what we're talking about? Mm. And so I think that's the other piece. We're in a very strange time. It's unprecedented. Everyone is talking about this. Everyone is struggling with this. It's not just us as ADHD people. 
And so I think that, you know, without driving people crazy and checking in every 20 seconds, it's okay sometimes to say, like, how are you feeling about this? Or I want to make sure I get a read. I can't read your face. So I'm just trying to get a read. Mm -hmm. I think people will be receptive to that because, I mean, all of us are kind of in this space of like, I can't read people's face. Yeah. And it's okay to speak up and ask that simple question. Yeah. Totally okay. I like that. Thank you for that. And to those poor cashiers on the other end where they're all wearing those masks and you can't say, I think it's nice to just say, I hope you're having a good day. You know, because yeah. some of them, they're tired and they're wearing that mask for the entire shift. So don't judge. They're not grumpy. They're just tired. And it's really hard. I know mm -hmm. I was I was somewhere on Saturday and there was the same person behind the counter at like noon as there was at like seven at night. Oh. So that person had been in that mask all that time. And they weren't rude or anything, but they definitely weren't like overly, you know, exuberant. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I hope they got a break. I hope they weren't yeah. in it this entire time. Yeah. So I think that's the thing. We have to remember that there's a lot going on for people and to also, you know, give yourself a little break yeah. and give yourself some, some space. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know kids I have that are already back in school tell me that they sometimes go to the bathroom just to like oh, yeah. deep breath, you know? Yes, totally. Totally. That's awesome. So Caroline, thank you so much for this. This was so much gold and like taking notes. So just to recap, it's important to read the room, understand your perspective, you know, the context behind things, experiment being a social spy. I love that one. And most of all, pick up her book, people. It's it sounds like it's full of gems, and it is full of gems. And thank you so much, Caroline, for for giving us your time and your wealth of knowledge. I absolutely appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was loads of fun.